said to his servants, Find me a woman, a necromancer, uh, someone who can bring up the dead. I want to go and visit her and uh, she's going to tell me that I'll, we're going to inquire about what's going to be tomorrow when we go into battle with the uh, Philistines, with the Plishtim. So his servant said to him, Yeah, there's a lady who matches that description and she lives in Eindor, which is just to the north of where Shoal is. We saw the map. Um, just uh, again, I'll show you the map now of where we're talking about here. Um, so everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, Eindor. Uh, yeah, so if you look at the map, there you see the Kinneret up there, just below the Kinneret is Eindor, um, just below to the left of Eindor is Shunem, where the uh, Philistine army are, and slightly below that is Mount Gilboa, where the Israeli army are stationed. So there's uh, close by in this place Eindor, which is just south southwest of the Kinneret, is this woman. And that's where they're going to go. So we'll stop the share now and we'll go back to uh, the text. So we got to, we discussed the first part of this verse last week, but we, we left off uh, with three questions that needed to be answered. Um, number one is, why did Shol specifically ask his servants to find him a female uh, sorceress, a female uh, necromancer, someone that can speak to the dead? Why a woman? That's the first question. And, and how come she was so well known? How come all her, the servants knew about her? What, what, what was her claim to fame? Um, and the third question that we need to deal with is that we were told in verse 3 of this chapter, uh, much earlier on, that when Shmuel died, the prophet says, um, when Shmuel died, everybody um, mourned for him. That Shol had removed, got rid of uh, all these uh, sorcerers, black magic practitioners from the land. So where did she suddenly spring up from? How come she was still operating, managed uh, to avoid the cull uh, of Shol when he got rid of all these people? So those are the three questions um, that remain in this chapter, remain in this possible. So. What, first of all, the question is, why did Shoal specifically ask his servants to find him a female sorceress? Well, what was wrong with a male? So, um, the Matsuda's Dovid answers the question. He says, The ability to communicate um, with the dead is found to be much greater. The, the power of doing so is much greater in women. Um, and that's why the Torah says, actually says it in the feminine, uh, it, it uses the feminine language. The Apostle says in Shemos, chapter 22, verse 17, A witch, in the, we use the word uh, as a, um, in the feminine sense, they have to be executed. And uh, other sources also uh, indicate that uh, the power uh, to divine magic is more prominent, more potent in women than it is in men. And uh, the Gemara uh, deals with this. The Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daf Samach Zayin on page 67 uh, deals with this verse. The verse that says, Machashefor lo You should not allow a female witch to live. Um, and the Gemara says, listen, the, the mitzvah does not only refer to women who practice sorcery, but rather both to men and women as well. So the Gemara asks, so why does the verse state uh, a witch using the feminine form? And again, the Gemara says this is because women are more familiar, have greater ability and greater sensitivity uh, to the art of witchcraft than men. they got the ability to reach out uh, spiritually uh, much greater than men. And that's a, a, a theme that runs through Judaism that um, uh, we find with Judaism that women are much more sensitive to spiritual issues than men are. Um, uh, the Ben Yoda 
the Ben Yishchai uh, explains why the Gemara says that women have a greater sensitivity um, uh, than men. Um, so his answer is very interesting. He says because women, because uh, black magic and sorcery is the koach it's the power of the impure, the unpure. And he says, since women, unlike men, spend much of their lives in the state of Tumor. He says, after all, uh, women go through the menstrual cycle and they spend many days of the month in a state of Tumor, impurity, which is something that men don't go through. As a consequence, their bodies and souls become very sensitive to the effects and reality of what impurity actually is, um, which gives them a unique perspective on the issue. And that's why he says that uh, women are much more sensitive to this type of uh, practitioner, uh, practice than men are, because they understand what it means to uh, be, uh, be so, so to speak, connected to tumor, to something that's uh, impure uh, when they go through their menstrual cycle. So they can appreciate, they appreciate it more than men do. There's also other opinions given that. Uh, um, What's interesting is that um, uh, when we see in the Torah that uh, the creation of man and the creation of woman, so one of the things that's different about the creation of man and the creation of woman is man is created from nothing. Man is really nothing. Man's created from the dirt of the ground. And he's really nothing. And uh, as the Zara says, man, a man constantly needs to be reassured, reaffirmed, reassured that everything's going to be okay. Um, because in, in reality, subconsciously, he knows he comes from dirt. He knows he comes from nothing. Women, on the other hand, were not created from the dirt of the land. They were created from something that God, that uh, had, the, so to speak, the fingerprint of God on it already. Um, a woman was created, was built from something that was already organic and already alive. And so women have got much greater sensitivity to all things spiritual rather than men, who are actually, uh, men are actually just pieces of dirt, right? Which you probably realise that by now. Um, but men are um, insensitive, um, and, uh, which is another reason why men need to have ten uh, for a minion, because their collective spiritual ability uh, means, or their individual spiritual ability doesn't amount to very much, uh, which is why women don't need to have a minion. Women can... Uh, uh, create a, a, a spiritual environment around themselves, the equivalent of a minion by themselves. They don't need to to uh, have a large group of women in order to uh, open the gates of heaven for prayer. Men do. Um, so that's another reason. Um, and so that's the answer to the first question: why he sought out a woman? Because women are much more sensitive to this type of issue. Uh, the second and third questions. Uh, really go together. Uh, we ask the question, who was this woman? You know, why, how come his servants knew about her? Why was she so famous? Um, and also we were told in verse 3 that Shaul had removed all these sorcerers, all these necromancers, all these black magic pr- uh, practitioners from the land. So how come she was still there? So the answer to both questions is really one answer. Um, and the Medrash uh, gives the answer. Uh, the Medrash says, uh, understand, this is a very strange Medrash, but uh, you'll see, the, the Gemara says, the, the Medrash says, um, uh, the, Gemara, the Medrash is dealing with charity, with stocker. So the Medrash says, understand the power of charity. Come and see from the story of Sha'ol, who removed all the sorcerers and necromancers from the land, but once again, and not for the first time in his life, needed, sought out that which he had hated and he tried to remove, which uh, is striking similar to his love-hate relationship with David. In other words, he wanted to get, he loved David and then he wanted to get rid of him. With the witches of, with the witch of Endor, uh, he got rid of all the witches and then he desperately needed a witch. It's like the story of his life. Whatever he gets rid of, he really actually needs. So, he went to the Endor and the reason why this woman was still alive and she hadn't been removed from the land was because she was the wife of someone called Sophania, the mother of Avner. Avner was Shaul's um, cousin 
and uh, his chief advisor and his general. And this witch was Avner's mother. Um, and uh, that's why she hadn't been removed, because all the other sorceresses had been removed. All the other uh, black, all the other witch doctors and doctor doctoresses had been removed, um, and she was the only one left because she was family, and uh, because the the fact that uh, she was Abner's mother made her Shoal's auntie, so he got rid of all the others, but he didn't get rid of his auntie, and um, so that explains both questions really. Uh, number one. Um, what was so famous about her she was famous because she was the auntie of the king and uh, how come she survived the cull of all the magicians and that's because also because she was uh, related to the king um, and what the Medrash is telling you is that although he removed all the sorceresses and the sorcerers and the necromancers from the land he was charitable and left one remaining because this particular witch was his auntie um, which made, uh, and as a result, Shaul excused her when he removed all the other sorcerers from the land. And that's the reason why Shaul, in the next verse, as we're going to see, when we get to the next verse, when he actually goes to see her, he disguises himself. Because uh, uh, if he wouldn't have disguised himself, she'd have known who he was straight away, because he was his ne her nephew. But, uh, and again, that's going to cause a little bit of a problem, because she, if she's such a great uh, uh, witch, if she's so clever, then she should have been able to see through his disguise. He's going to disguise himself. But uh, if she's so clever, and she's uh, a magician, so she should have been able to see through his disguise, which she didn't. So, we'll see. But um, let's get on with the story. So, the Barbanel here raises an additional problem. Um, from uh, Psukim later on, uh, which we mentioned earlier, um, we said before the um, the, the Barbanel makes the point, but on the Machinama Yomim below Darash Bashem, that Shaul didn't uh, make the best effort to ask God before he's he's going to go to this sorceress. Uh, we discussed earlier that he he davened and he tried to get the answers he needed from a dream and then he tried to get the answers from a prophet but no one could give him any prophet give him any prophecy um, and uh, the he's criticized later on right at the end of Tanakh one of the things he's criticized for is for the fact that he didn't try hard enough to speak to God to get in co contact with God to ask God his questions and the apostle says this is the apostle in Divrei Ayom in the book of Chronicles right at the end of Tanakh where, where Ezra writes uh, a brief history of the Jewish people right up to the, uh, the building of the second temple right from the, the Bereshis from the start of the, the Torah right through to the end of the Tanakh so he, he's discussing Shaul's life here and he writes Vayomot Shaul Shaul died he died because of treachery that he committed against God um, that uh, he's criticised one of the reasons why he was killed early uh, was because he uh, inquired of the dead via this woman and then the, apostles, the next verse says he didn't inquire of God now we said before that he did he, he tried to contact God he tried uh, with a dream and he tried with the prophets, but God wouldn't speak to him. But the Apostle here says, Dorash Bashem, he didn't um, inquire of God, Vayimisehu, and therefore God killed him. And then God transferred the kingship to David, the son of Yishai. So, uh, the Abarbanel says, the problem with that Apostle uh, from Divrei Yomim, is that it says that Shaul was killed because below Dorash Bashem he didn't inquire about God but we know from verse 6 here in Shmuel, in this chapter in verse 6 that simply wasn't true, because the verse says as I mentioned before by Yishal Shaul Bashem first Shaul davened to God below Onohu, God didn't answer him Gam Bechalomos, he wanted he asked God to give him a dream, to tell him what, what, what the information that he wanted to know how's it going to be, how's the war going to go, um, Gamba Urim, 
גם בנביאים, he sought out the Urim and Tumim, the breastplate, and he sought out the, 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 from the prophets, the law, no, God didn't answer him. So, the Barbanel that says, it seems that Shaul tried everything to get answers about his problems. Is he going to live? Is the, is the Israeli army going to be successful in war? He tried his best to get the information from God. Asking directly, requesting a dream, consulting the Urim and Tumim, on the Kohen Godol's breastplate, he also asked the prophet, and still God didn't answer him. So he says, how do we reconcile the verse here in Shmuel, um, that Shol did seek out God first, and the, and the verse in Divrei Ayomim that says he didn't. Below Dorash Vashem, he didn't seek out God. So the Abhavana explains like this, and this is something that we mentioned briefly in a previous shia. Yeah, it's true. He did try to contact God. But having failed to contact God, or God having failed to answer him, that didn't give him permission to go and seek out a uh, sorceress, to seek out this, this black magic lady. And as a result of that, um, because he did, because he eventually went and asked this, uh, this woman who was practicing witchcraft, uh, it's as if he, God considered it as, as if he didn't ask God at all. Like, uh, you know, like, the very fact that he went to a sorceress in the end m- meant that he, 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 uh, he his, uh, his questions to God were dismissed, so to speak, because he ended up doing an Avera. Um, so the Abba says, in the end, Shol ended up sinning by going to this necromancer. And as a result of that, it was as, as if he never consulted God in the first place. But I think, but I think these commentators that uh, make this, that make this, uh, that understand it this way, don't really understand what's going on in the story here, or what the message is from Divrei Ayomim, from the Book of Chronicles later on. The verses in Dira Yomim do not say, they don't even imply that Shaul died because he didn't consult God before going to this necromancer. Aval Yoma, it says, actually says, The verse actually says, that the reason why Shaul died was because of treachery he had committed against God God, uh, uh, concerning the commandments that he was given he did not keep. And that doesn't refer to this incident here. That goes back to the very start of his kingship. Shmuel told him to wait in Gilgal for him, seven days, and Shaul didn't. Then God told him to kill all the Amalekites, and he didn't. And for both the, these events, he's being condemned. Because on both those occasions, he should have consulted God first. In other words, you know, he was in Gilgal. Shmuel told him, don't leave Gilgal until I get here. And Shmuel hadn't arrived yet. So, Shaul left. At that point, Shaul should have consulted God. And he didn't. And then he was told to wipe out the Amalekites. So he went to war with the Amalekites and he was going to leave the king, the king of the Amalekites, Agag, alive. And uh, he did that without consulting God. And says the Bible, now that's the reason why he died early. Not because of this, uh, this event here. And it would have been more appropriate it would have been appropriate for Shaul to listen to God earlier on in his career. At Gilgal, in Yavosh Shmuel, in Lav, he should, have, he should have spoken to God and said, listen, Shmuel told me to wait for him. Should I wait any longer? But he didn't do that. And should I be worried about my enemies or not worried about my enemies? And also when he went to war with Amalek, he should, that's the time he should have consulted God. Before he kept a gag alive, he should have consulted a Novi, he should have consulted a Kohen, he should have asked for a dream, 
and uh, to ask whether he's allowed to keep uh, Agag alive. And it's that reason, for those reasons, that Shaul's going to die here. Nothing to do with the fact that he went to speak to this necromancer. Vahu lo osa shom ki lo Hashem. And lo dorash alav shem Hashem. That uh, he's not being criticised here for not seeking out God. He's been criticised for all the, the events in, in, in his history, in his kingship, when he should have sought out God, and he didn't. So now, all of a sudden, he wants to seek out God, so God doesn't answer him. Because um, now, when he's desperate, and he's not got Shmuel, and the Nabiim can't answer him, and the Urim and Tumim can't answer him, and he, God won't give him an answer, and he's in terrible trouble. So that's payback, so to speak. That's like midik and eged midah, measure for measure. Like your whole military career, uh, when you were the king, so you didn't bother to seek out God, because you were very confident, and you had Shmuel, and uh, you felt nothing could go wrong. Now you're in a bad situation, and uh, you haven't got Shmuel. And the army, the Philistine army, is huge. And now you're worried, now you want to speak to God, so God says, no, I'm not going to, uh, you know, that's it. You didn't want to speak to me when I, when I, when you really needed to, when you really should have spoken to me, or asked my permission, so now I'm not speaking to you. So the Abarbanel says, really, this situation um, that exists here, God, so to speak, has pushed him into a corner, because God, by not answering uh, Shoal, not giving him a chance to find out uh, whether the army's going to be successful and whether he's going to make it through the next 24 hours alive, um, uh, that's all down to, to God. God's, God's pushed him into a corner, so to speak, where the only thing left for him to do is to seek out, um, to seek out this woman. And uh, as uh, even though, says the Bible, even though the other commentators criticised Shoal for doing it and saying he did a great Avera here, says the Abarbanali, he really wasn't, uh, uh, he didn't have any choice in the matter. That, that was the only option left to him. And really, the source of, of, of his misdemeanours and the source of the reasons why he's going to die here is not because he consulted this witch. It's because of all the other things that happened earlier on in his career. And uh, as a result of that, that's why God's not answering him now. And that's why uh, Shaul, so to speak, is uh, backs to the wall. And the only uh, solution he can think of, in, uh, obviously, he's not fully compass mentis, he's, he's suffering bipolar and he's depressed and everything else. Um, the only thing he can think of is going to this woman and seeing if she knows. He can summon up, we'll see, she wants, she's got, he's going to try and summon up... Um, the body, uh, the uh, an image of Sh- uh, Shmuel, to see if he can answer the questions, um, and so that's the opinion of Barbanel. So you can pick and choose exactly. You know, it's not not so clear what he, whether he was doing a sin here. Um, you could argue that he wasn't doing a sin. It was her that was doing the sin, because the actual uh, prohibition from the Torah is to uh, do the do the black magic. Uh, it, it, it's not appropriate to ask someone to do black magic, um, but um, the person that actually does it is committing the crime, committing the capital offence, committing the uh, offence that is punishable by death, not the person asking. So that's the Abarbanel here. He says that Shoal, that's not the reason Shoal died. Shoal's not, not being killed early because uh, uh, he's, he's going to go and speak to this witch. Um, He's, he's dying early because of all the other misdemeanors that took place in his life. Not to mention the fact that he wiped out the whole city of Kohanim as well, because uh, he thought that they were planning uh, a coup uh, against him with David. And so, that is, that is the opinion. So, that you can, again, you can pick and choose what, what you think here. Uh, the, the commentators are split exactly what Scholl's, if, if this, what Scholl is doing here is a sin, and that's the reason why he's dying, or whether uh, he's going to die early because of uh, a cumulative, uh, uh, an accumulation of offences that he committed throughout his life. But so before we finish this verse, um, and we move on to, as it gets even, this, this, this story gets stranger and stranger, um, we need to look at uh, two amazing insights into this verse. Uh, one comes from Rabbeinu Bachai. Uh, who we use quite often 
um, for Kabbalistic and esoteric understandings of verses. And one comes from the Baal Haturim. The Baal Haturim is the son of the Rosh, who lived in the 14th century. Rabbi Bachai, also in that period of time, they're both um, a Rishonim. Um, and Rabbeinu Bachai, um, in his commentary on Vayikra, on the book of Vayikra, in chapter 20, uh, chapter 20 and chapter 21, um, he asks the following question. Um, he asks the question, why is the preeminence of a Kohen and the a prohibition of a Kohen not becoming Tomei, not becoming impure, by having contact with the dead, written immediately after the prohibition relating to the practice of magic and sorcery. Like, it's very strange. Like, um, the Torah says as follows. This is the last posuk in chapter 20 in Vayikra. The posuk says, V'isha or isha ki yebohem ov o yidoni mos yumosu. Any man or woman uh, who uses the sorcery, black magic, will surely be put to death. But even yugamu, uh, they shall be uh, stoned, um, stoned to death. Uh, and demehem bomb, and it's their own fault. Their blood is upon themselves. In other words, they were told not to do it. It's a capital offence. If you commit black magic, this is what you can. Have, this is what you can expect to be stoned to death. The very next pasuk says, "Vayom Hashem al Moshe." God said to Moshe, Emarah Kohanim, speak to the Kohanim B'nai Aaron, to the children of Aaron, that you Kohanim, you're not allowed to make yourself Tomei, you're not allowed to make yourself import pure, by coming into contact with dead people. Now it's very strange, like you've got two, two Pesukim, two verses right next to each other, one's talking about, you know, uh, black magic and sorcerers and uh, they've got to be stoned and the very next spot that God says oh and by the way I, you know like I forgot to tell you can you just have a word with Aaron and his sons that the, you know that if somebody dies they're not allowed to come close to the uh, they're not allowed to go in the house where there's a dead body because they become Tommy and you, you're not allowed to do that so Rabbeinu Bachai says well what, what these two can got to do with each other why are they right next to each other and of course we see in the Torah very often uh, juxtapositions of verses that don't seem to have anything to do with each other, but at the at the uh, on, on a deeper level they really do. They're they're extremely well connected. So Rabbeinu Bachai says this instruction: Emarah Kohanim B'nei Aaron, speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron. So he quotes the Gemara, the Gemara in Sota on Daf Gimel on page twenty three. Uh, understands this verse as excluding female descendants of Kohanim. Now, what's very interesting, and people that, you know, often, I've never heard anyone ask, ask, actually ask me this question, but, you know, you know, Shabbos morning or during the week, uh, the end of, uh, towards the end of davening, so the men get up, the Kohanim get up and duchet. Why don't the women duchet? Sharon Farber, you're a Bas Kohen, right? Aren't you a Bas Cohen? But you're a Bas Cohen. Yeah, so why don't you duchen? Why don't you duchen? The, the sons of Kohanim duchen, so why don't the ladies duchen? I know, I know, I know. Don't ask. You'll be banned for life if you ask to duchen as well. But Rabbeinu Bachai says, like, why, why, why can't women duchen? Like, if, if the sons of the Kohen can duchen, why can't the daughters of the Kohen, Kohen duchen? After all, when we see the punishment, for example, a woman that commits adultery, so they're executed with chenek, uh, a man and a woman. But if the woman is a regular woman, uh, a Bas Yisrael, a daughter of a, a regular Israelite, she gets one type of misa, she gets one type of capital punishment, she's uh, strangled. Um, but a Bas Cohen, she's in, so a, a daughter of a Cohen, so she gets a much uh, more serious um, uh, capital offence, a capital punishment. She gets stoned to death, much more serious. I mean, you know, everybody ends up dying, but uh, uh, Skeeter is the uh, primary, uh, the, the highest form of execution for the most serious of crimes. So, he asks the question, why does, why does God address the sons of Aaron? 
Well, what about the daughters of Aaron? Um, um, why aren't the daughters of Aaron required to avoid Tumah? Why are the daughters of Aaron, the, the, the women who are, co- who are the children of Kohanim, why aren't they warned about getting, becoming Tomei and going to a house uh, where there are dead people? So he writes, listen to what he writes, I've explained the reason why the female offspring of Kohanim are not considered as Kohanim in the full sense of the word. And the reason is that due to the fact that the first woman, listen to what he says, the first woman, Chava, was the one who brought death into the world by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and, uh, and uh, seducing or tempting her husband to do the same. And that act alone does not make them fit to act as fl- fully-fledged Kohanim because Kohanim are people who are concerned with preserving and, and extending life. Um, and they do that by, on the Duchen, when they Duchen, they're blessing you with life. And when they're in the base of Middosh, the Kohanim's work is all about getting you atonement for a sin, so that you can have, live a longer life. Uh, and they serve the public in helping them to obtain atonement for their sins via their kor- korbanos. And also on Yom Kippur, all the avoda that's done, all the work that's done in the base of Middosh is done for the sake of life. That's uh, Zochreinu Lachaim. And the very fact, says Rabbeinu Bachai, that it was a woman that brought mortality into the world. It means that the women, they're not the appropriate vehicles uh, to give the blessings for life. And he says the reason that the paragraph of the laws for Kahanim, commanding them not to allow themselves to become Tome, not to be allow themselves to come into contact with a dead body, was written immediately after a verse dealing with the laws of how to deal with sorcerers and various kinds of performers of back, uh, uh, practitioners of black magic is explaining this midrash as indicating God's foreknowledge of subsequent Jewish history. Listen to this, what he says. He says, Shaul killed an entire city of Kahanim uh, because he believed they were committing treason. And he appointed Doeg Huadomi, who we've discussed in great detail earlier, to, the be, to be the accuser and executioner of this city. This is despite the lack of any kind of evidence that the Kohanim had committed treason against Shaul. Um, there was no evidence that would stand up in the Sanhedrin that would support the idea that David and the Kohanim in the city of Nob were plotting to overthrow him. He says, subsequently, when King Shaul found himself in a quandary, and when he wanted advice from God, he was refused it. So he decided to turn to a necromancer, despite the express prohibition to even allow such people to live. Which, again, we said, that any practitioner of black magic has to be stoned to death. Says Rabbeinu Bachai, God had foreseen this unfolding of events and had written these two commandments juxtaposed. Number one, to remind the Jewish people of the precedence, the preeminence of the Kohanim. It's a warning to Shaul. Number one, you, you are the man, you got, you, you're thinking of killing the whole city of Kohanim, don't do it. And the verse that's connected to it is, never go anywhere near these necromancers which is another direct warning to Shaul. So he says an amazing thing. He says the juxtaposition of these two verses is quite amazing. It's God, so to speak. He's put these two verses together, one dealing with the preeminence and the importance and the sanctity of the Kohanim, together with the idea that don't go anywhere near these necromancers. He put them together, God, in the Torah as a warning to Shaul. That if Shaul understood the Torah uh, properly, and he, he, which he did, he would know, number one, he shouldn't have killed out all the people, all the Kohanim in the city of Nov. And then worse than that, after he'd done all that, he went to see a sorceress. And these two Pesukim are actually next to each other in the Torah for that reason, as a warning to Shaul. As he says, these are his words, the juxtaposition of, the, of these verses um, were there as a deliberate warning to Shaul, who either did not see it or ignored it. 
Um, and others got to become guilty of sins described, mistreating, killing Kohanim, consorting with necromancers, both of which Shaul was ultimately guilty of when he wiped out the city of Nov and later consulted a necromancer. In the event that Jewish people, even a king, feel they have no legitimate address from which to inquire about the future, the Torah goes on record in Devorim, in chapter 17, verse 9, and tells you what to do. And this is something Shaul didn't do, and, and felt embarrassed to do. He could have done it, but he didn't. The Torah tells you what you have to do. If you're in a dilemma, you dab into God and he doesn't answer you. You ask for a dream and God doesn't answer you. You ask the Urim and Tumim and God doesn't answer you. You go to a prophet and God doesn't answer you. The answer is not to go to a witch. The answer is to go Ubosa el hakoanim halavim velashofet You go to the Kohen, the Dorashta and he will tell you what to do. He will get Siata Dishmai, he will get the Kohen of in, in the generation will get help from heaven to tell you what to do. So he, the Rabbeinu Bachai says, obviously, taking the Torah's advice above and approaching a Kohen for his guidance was not an avenue Shaul could explore at this crucial, crucial moment of his life. Not only wouldn't God answer him, no Kohen would do so either, because Shaul had previously executed all the Kohanim in the city of Nov. And therefore, he, his reputation among the Kohanim was such that no Kohen would go anywhere near him. So, Rabbeinu Bachai said, you've got these two psukim in the Torah that uh, basically link uh, the life of Shaul, basically predicting the life of the two mistakes he's going to make. That he's going to wipe out the city of Kohanim, don't do it. And then, when you've wiped out the city of Kohanim, you've cut off all your options if God won't speak to you. Because the, your only o- uh, avenue of getting some type of decision, what you should do under these circumstances, is going to a Cohen himself. And no self-respecting Cohen that lived at this particular time in history would go anywhere near Shaul after he'd killed all the uh, Kohanim in the city. They, if Shaul would have summoned a Cohen, they would have said, no, no, we're not going anywhere near him, he's going to kill us. Um, so Shaul, he writes, the Rabbeinu Bachai writes, that Shaul, having previously had all the Kohanim executed in the city of Nov, um, he had no options, and he's left with the only option available, which the Torah tells you straight away, you shouldn't do, even if you're in this situation. Um, number one, look after the Kohanim. Shaul didn't, he killed them all. Number two, don't go anywhere near the Yedonim, the, uh, the uh, sorcerers. But that was the only possibility he had left. So Rabbeinu Bachai said he was trapped, he was hoisted by his own petard, so to speak. The warning was there in the Torah for him, if he was, either he did see it, um, either he didn't see it, or he did see it and he ignored it. And uh, the uh, Rabbeinu Bachai then quotes on uh, the end of the Medrash, he says, Omar Rabbi Yeshua Mikfar Sachnin, Rabbi Yeshua who lived in Kfar Sachnin said, in the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, that God gave Moshe a bird's eye view of subsequent generations of Jewish history and their respective leaders. He showed Moshe, Shaul and his sons and his ignominious death by the sword uh, on Mount Gilboa, something that we will discuss in great detail when we get to it. Um, and uh, this was last, if you see in last week's parasha, that God said to him, listen, you can look over, God, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu said in, in last week's parasha, you know, let, let, me, let me enter the land. God says, no. The best we can do is that you can climb on the top of the mountain and look over the land. So the Medrash says, not only did he see the land of Israel uh, from afar, but he also saw it into the history of the Jewish people. And he saw the story in, in panoramic view uh, of what, ha- what was going to happen to Shaul. And Rabbeinu Bachai says, Moshe was aghast and explained, how could it be that the first king of the Jewish people should have such a tragic end? Uh, that he should be stabbed by the sword 
alone on the top of a mountain surrounded by the enemy. And uh, the Medrash says, says Rabbeinu Bachai, it was then that God told Moshe to write down these two verses juxtaposed in the Torah. And this juxtaposition of verses were there deliberately to warn Shaul. Warning number one, treat the Kohanim with respect. Shaul killed them all. Warning number two, don't go to necromancers. Shaul was left, once he'd killed the Kohanim, he was left with no other alternative but to go to the necromancer. So this is, this is uh, Rabbeinu Bachai. He says that's the reason why these two psukim that don't seem to have any connection to each other were written together in the Torah. That was a deliberate warning to Shaul. That was a request by Moshe Rabbeinu uh, to, to, so to speak, that Shaul should be able to read into it uh, something that would, would happen to him in the future and maybe he could avoid it. But he either didn't. He either didn't see it or he ignored what he saw. Um, so, uh, unfortunately for Shaul, he was ultimately guilty of both these, 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 these psukim, these verses in the Torah. That he killed out the whole city of Nov and he ended up going to see a witch. So, the warnings that were written into the Torah, um, he, he, he didn't take any notice of or he didn't see them or whatever it was. Um, and as a result of that, that led to his tragic end. So that's a, an amazing piece um, on this posuk here uh, by Rabbeinu Bachai. There's another piece, finally, on this posuk, uh, which I'll, uh, I'll, we'll finish off with, which is from the Balaturim. Now, the Balaturim is very famous for his gematrias, and he's also very famous for writing um, the book that was the um, forerunner of the Shulchan Aruch, uh, the Shulchan Aruch is based on the work of the Tur, um, uh, and um, he lived. This uh, Rabbi Yaakov ben Oh, he's Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher. He lived in. Um, he was born in Germany, but lived most of his life in uh, Spain. And very peculiar situation that his father, who was an Ashkenaz, he was Ashkenaz as well. No Ashkenazi, but they fled the Habsburg uh, Empire. Uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, they were, they were wanted, and they fled uh, via France, into southern France, into Spain. And it was the influence of him, his father and him that, so, so to speak, Ashkenized the Sephardi community in Spain. It's very interesting that uh, the Sephardi community in Spain became Ashkenized as a result of um, uh, the Baal Haturim, um, uh, emigrating from Germany, his father, the Rosh, and him, the Balaturim, emigrating from Germany to Spain, they changed the focus of learning in Spain uh, from the traditional Sephardi method of learning into a more Ashkenazi approach. Well, that's, uh, that's a different story. But um, the Balaturim, um, he examines the, uh, the posuk that deals, the verse that deals with the prohibition about... Um, turning to black magic uh, in the Torah. The, the Potuk actually says like this, and he looks at this Potuk uh, word by word, and listen, listen to the way he examines this Potuk. So the Potuk says, Al tifnu el havodos val yidonim. Do not turn, this is a warning to people, not a warning to the sorcerers themselves, but a warning to people that are thinking of turning uh, as a last resort to sorcery. Do not turn to sorcery of the Ove or the Edoni, these different types of necromancers. Don't seek out um, uh, and defy yourselves through them. I am the Lord your God. So that's the positive, that's the warning uh, to the general popu Jewish population. Don't go anywhere near these tarot card readers. Don't go anywhere near these gypsies that want to read your palms. Don't go near any of these seances and all this type of stuff. And um, so he examines the verse. This is the way he examines the verse. The verse starts off, Al tifnu el ha'ovos. Do not turn to the sorcerers. And he says, Do not have such so any type of social interaction with these types of people, even on Shabbos. Because we know the, the Zohar says that uh, sorcery does not work on Shabbos. It uh, only works during the week because Shabbos is so, the day of Shabbos is so uh, tahor, so pure, 
and so holy that uh, it's impossible for any of these sorcerers to do their dirty work on Shabbos. So he says it, there's an Issa. He's a, he's a halachist, um, the Balhaturin. And he says, you're not allowed to have any social interaction with, these, with any type of witchcraft practitioner, even on Shabbos. Uh, thinking that since they do, don't practice, or, or they, they don't and they can't practice their art on Shabbos, that socialising with them then is harmless. He quotes the Eben Ezra. He says, the Eben Ezra writes, this is, this is a warning not to do what King Shaul did near the end of his reign, in desperation, when he asked the Balas Ov to answer his fears about the war with the Pelishtim and what he was, his own fate would be. He said the word Ov and Ovos, where does that word come from? It's a type of sorcery. He says, where is that word come? What's the root of that word? The word Ov and Ovos. Um, sorcerers. Uh, sorcerer and sorcerers. So he said the word Ovos is derived from a verse in Eov. Ovos chadoshim yibakea. Which describes new, uh, they used to, they didn't have glass bottles. So they used to store their wine in wine, in wine skins. They used to, use uh, the skins of animals and they used to make uh, flagons and uh, containers out of uh, uh, leather to contain their wine. And, um, and ovos is a, uh, a description, it literally means a wine skin that's uh, full of wine to bursting point. And he says, similarly, a balas ov, a woman who practices this ov, which is mentioned in the verse, a necromancer, it's like a person who cannot wait to reveal the knowledge they believe they possess. Like they are full to bursting point with information that they can't wait to share. He says, similarly, the word Yidoni, which is another type of uh, witchcraft, um, is related to the word Das, knowledge, knowledge and experience. And also describes um, these supposedly knowledgeable people who can't wait to foretell the future. And he says, the verse then adds that the results of turning to sorcerers will be letomobahem. You'll become contaminated by that. And any person who turns to such charlatans in order to divine the future will lose whatever degree of connection to God he or she had achieved prior to this. Letomobahem. In other words, all the... All the, all the all the good things you've done in your life, all the things that are tohor, that are completely pure, they'll go. They'll be replaced by tumor. They'll be replaced by impurity if you consult with these types of people. And the reason for this is as the verse concludes. Because as the verse finishes off, Ani Hashem I alone am your God you're not allowed to look for refuge or answers from anyone else other than me. And once you seek out answers from another source, from another power, then that is the total denial of God. And as a result of that, everything you've done in your life, it's a, a very powerful message. That the, it's, it's such a, a, um, a terrible sin uh, to consult with the even today, you know, you have these tarot card readers and all this type of uh, claptrap with the gypsies and all these people that can tell you the future and you go to a seance and they summon up the dead and all this nonsense. Um, you're risking your own soul by doing so. And he says, that's the positive. That's the uh, Tomobahem. If you turn to these, to these people, the Tomobahem, you'll lose everything, everything that you had within your soul that was tahor, that was pure, will be Latomobahem, will be replaced by something that's impure. So those are the two uh, um, droshes here from, from the uh, Rabbeinu Bachai and uh, from the Balaturim. Just finally, um, one additional thought on this posseg. So, sure, we know exactly why Shaul's chosen a woman, we know why this woman hasn't been um, removed from the land, and we, we know we know virtually everything we need to know now. But he hasn't gone yet, but he's going to go. But um, one one other thing here that uh, is worthy of uh, 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 notice before uh, of us taking some notice of it 
before we deal with verse 8, which is where Shaul actually disguises himself and goes and visits this witch. But the posset, our posset, verse 7 says, um, it, An unusually comical, sarcastic comment from a medrash. Now, normally a medrash, you don't expect anything sarcastic or comical or ironic from a medrash. Um, but this medrash in, in, in this medrash Tanchuma in Parashas Amar, uh, I thought was, uh, made me giggle to a certain extent. I mean, the story itself is tragic. Um, but uh, the, the Medrash is uh, one of the few Midrashim throughout the Torah which is almost comical, uh, almost uh, ironic and sarcastic. Um, so the Medrash is talking regarding Shaul's request to see this necromancer. So the, the Medrash says that Reish Lakish says, uh, what can we compare Shaul to? He says we can compare Shaul to a king who entered a province and said, uh, I want all the cockerels in this province to be slaughtered tonight. Um, and then in the morning, when he had to leave, he had to leave early, he overslept. And, um, and when he woke up, he shouts out, are there no cockerels to crow here and wake people up in the morning? And they said to him, you're the one that ordered them all to be killed. So Reish Lachish says here also, in Shmuel, in chapter 28, uh, in verse 3, it says to Shol Oret. The Shol, you know, he, he, he was determined to get rid of all these. Um, he was determined to get rid of all these uh, um, uh, black magic practitioners and sorcerers and witches and everything else. And now, four verses later, in verse seven, he says, "Bakshuli Ashes Balasol, find me a woman necromancer." So it's like almost God, like uh, playing a joke on him. Like uh, Shaul got rid of all the necromancers, and now he's, you know, like uh, two or three days later, he's desperately uh, searching for a necromancer. It's like you know, it's like things that I've done it plenty of times. You know, you have a clear out of your bedroom, or you have a clear out of your office, and you throw some stuff out. Yeah, I'd never need that. I'm never going to need that. I'm never going to need that. And I'm never going to need that. Throw it all away. Put it in the bin. Thank God. Three days later, somebody rings you up. Have you got that document? You know that document I sent you 14 years ago? About so da, 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 da. Can you please send it to me? And that's, of course, what you've just thrown out into the bin. It's almost God like, playing a trick and having a joke with you. Um, like, you, you know, you, you've had something that you've never used for 10 years, and you throw it out, and then two days later you need it. So here, this, this is the irony or it's not really irony, it's like almost sarcasm of something that's happened to Shaul. Um, so that's where we're holding. We're holding at verse 8. Uh, we're going to continue the story next week. Uh, and Shaul now is going to go and visit this woman. And as we said, it appears that it's his auntie who he's going to visit. So he wants to disguise himself. He, he doesn't want, he wouldn't want to be embarrassed by the fact it's, uh, he's going to visit his auntie and his auntie's going to see that he's the king of Israel and he needs the help of a, uh, a witch. So, uh, the, the says, Shaul disguised himself. But uh, it seems very strange if she's a witch and she can foretell the future, then, you know, well, what good's a, you know, what good is it to disguise yourself? If she's really good at the game, then she'll be able to see through the disguise straight away. Okay, so we'll discuss that next week. So, um, that's where we're up to, um, and, uh, uh, if anybody's got any questions now at the time, I don't know, where, where is everybody this week? Is there, is there a wedding or something? Don't know, why? No.